You're listening to episode 11 of the Copyright Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm Jason Tucker, and I've settled over a billion dollars in copyright claims for the world's largest studios. Over the last 15 years as the expert pirate hunter, IP problem solver, and enforcer, I have helped shape copyright law, the processes, and the landscape that exists today. So how do you keep your IP organized, protect it from pirates, and make even more money off of your content? With real-life insight and stories from the trenches, this is the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm going to talk about copyright facts versus fiction, myths, and uh, hopefully we can debunk some things today. We're going to start with why is it important to register your copyrights? And some of this first part may sound redundant, but it's important to register your copyrights because if you ever want to properly defend your rights, you need registrations. If you ever want to sell your company for a considerable amount of money, you need registrations. If you're wondering if your empire is worth it, know that when companies are sold, the intellectual or IP portfolio goes into a considerable piece of the valuation. The value is set by uh, various factors, including the enforcement rights. So if you don't have timely registrations or you don't have any registrations, then you're putting that bucket of actual damages and that'll give you a considerably lower valuation. Know that even if you're never going to take any action, but you will send takedown notices, there's still a value in, in doing registrations because a pirate may do their homework. So when people know that there are registrations out there, they know that there's exposure to uh, considerable damages. And again, even if you're not going to take any action, if somebody goes and does their homework on you and they see, oh, this stuff is registered, you'll find that people will act quicker than they will for the work that uh, isn't registered, interestingly enough. And, and we can get into the psychology of the why another time. How does that equate in a real life setting besides what I've just explained? Uh, Getty Images is conservatively the largest, or arguably, the largest holder of intellectual property rights to images on the planet. You may know Getty Images because you know who they are, or you've seen uh, at the end of a movie uh, or TV show, you've seen their name, or you know someone or you yourself have received a letter demanding money uh, for an image that you used without their permission that they own. As a result of all of those things, they have a market valuation today of $3 billion dollars. And I would suggest that it's not just because of the fact that they have a lot of images, because a lot of companies have a lot of images. It's that they have this rights of enforcement with it. And people also know that when they get a letter from them, they're pretty serious. So uh, how serious? They have a $3 billion valuation. So you're getting a letter from a $3 billion company that wants to have a conversation with you. You take that a little more serious than if you look it up and you go, oh, this is XYZ company and I don't know who they are. So I'm going to dismiss that. When people get a letter from Getty, uh, they take it seriously. What is a copyright? We should start there. That's a good place. So copyright's a form of intellectual property law, and it protects an original work of authorship, a book, a, mu a music work, so a song or an artistic work. So what does that actually mean? A poetry or books or movies, videos, songs, computer software, architectural drawings. These are all elements that you can register uh, with the U.S. Copyright Office for copyright registration. You, as the owner of the copyright, uh, can assign, license, whatever, uh, rights to that work, except uh, the rights of enforcement. That's held exclusively by the copyright owner. When does a copyright owner have a copyright? I asked that specifically that way, so I'll ask it another way. When do, when do I have uh, ownership in something I, uh, to copyright? And the answer is, Simply, when I create it, if I take out a sheet of paper and I doodle something on it, and I call that my artistic drawing, when I'm done with that 
drawing, it's copywritten to me. I own the copyright. Uh, a copyright registration though affords me a lot of protection under the law, but it also is proof that it's mine and I created it first or I created it. We'll get into the poor man's copyright if that's what you're thinking in a minute, but I want to talk about what copyrights don't protect and that's ideas or procedures or methods or processes or concepts or things of that nature. Those fall under patents and then a brand name or a unique phrase or logo is a trademark. Trademark. And I say it that way, not to come across as, as sarcastic, but if you break that word up, if you're ever confused and you're wondering, does this fall under a copyright or a trademark? Is it a trademark? <laughs> and the answer is no, then it'll potentially fall. It probably falls under a copyright registration. So now that you're familiar with the difference, let's jump into some elements in more detail. So we talked about who can claim a copyright. It's the owner or the author or the authors or owners of a copyright. When I say claim, I mean get a registration for it. And then with that, who can claim copyright infringement is the um, the the owner of the work. And the exception to the, to the author being that person is when it's a work made for hire, meaning you hired someone to do it for you or someone hired you to do it for them, at which point uh, they own uh, the work. Now, I would suggest here's a pro tip for you. If you're hiring someone to uh, create a work for you or you're doing it uh, as a, their, a ghostwriter or, or however that plays out, have them sign something that assigns all the rights to the work over to you. The reason being is, is that uh, there have been cases that have come up where some of the arguments have been, well, you don't have all of the rights and therefore you don't have the right to enforcement and this case should be dismissed. So uh, again, even if you're never going to do that, it just helps. It's another sheet of paper. You can do it on a cocktail napkin if you want. Just have them assign all the rights over to you. This one comes up uh, more often than not at the beginning of disputes. Uh, and I see this between people uh, a lot, uh, companies even. Don't say I'm going to sue you unless you are prepared to do it and you have the money in the bank ready to burn. And I mean, <laughs> sorry if I'm getting a little excited here, sort of, uh, I mean actually prepared to sue when they don't do what you want. The reason I say that is because think about how much ground you give up by not following through on what you threatened with them. Now, when I say anything close to that, our attorneys have already drafted a filing with the intention of filing, unless we reach an agreement before the timetable we set up is hit. So our intention is to file on you. The only thing that we're giving you is a window to try and stop us from doing it. Big difference between that and I'm going to sue you. We're already suing you. We just haven't started the clock yet with a filing. And when I hear a client tell me, Somebody said they're going to sue me or another party says to another party that I'm involved with that says, I'm going to sue you if you don't. I ask them by when, when are you going to do this? So we know. And more often than not, uh, when, when I, somebody says that I'll advise our clients to stop all communication with the other side until at least four or five days after that date that they give us. And if the other side hasn't filed anything by then, then we know that we're absolutely in the driver's seat on discussions without a full understanding of, of what it could look like to actually go into litigation, which we'll cover in another podcast, you look like you're saying you don't know what you're talking about by saying that. That takes us into the next piece, which is, yes, it is a crime to steal and use a copyright infringement uh, or infringe on somebody's copyrights. It's a crime, but I hear 
That ducktails into the next piece that I hear a lot, which is uh, copyright infringement's a crime, so I'm going to have them arrested. Uh, good luck. And uh, this came up recently, and, and my suggestion was, uh, if you find a law enforcement agency to actually arrest somebody for copyright infringement, please turn me on to them because I'd like to have a conversation. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but uh, it's under rare circumstances. If somebody steals your book, uh, I can't imagine that the, the FBI is going to um, arrest them for stealing your book or a copy of your book. It's just not how it works. And you, as an individual person or a company, can only bring a civil action, meaning for monetary damages. You're not a, you're not a law enforcement agency, so you can't really bring a criminal case against somebody. Now, could a criminal, could a civil case turn into a criminal case? Absolutely. But it's not going to start there for you. Uh, and again, if, if that changes and you find a way to do it, and in all sincerity and seriousness, call me because I want to know how you did it. So we talked about this to address this, which is the poor man's copyright. The poor man's copyright essentially is, uh, there may have been a time when this is a benefit. And yes, it, it, it can show a proof of ownership, but really what it is, is you take the work, you put it into an envelope or something of that nature, you seal it and you mail it to yourself or you get it notarized and then you just don't open it. Yes, it provides you a proof of ownership. It can establish that you had it before anyone else. Uh, but it's no substitute for registration and it really doesn't have any benefit past that. The other thing I would suggest is that if you're going to go through all of those steps, you might as well just file for a registration and get all the other benefits that you get from it. So from an IP management standpoint, it's really not worth much and you're better off just filing for a registration. The next biggie pertains to writers. That is that I hear, uh, I use the Writers Guild of America. I register my work with the WGA and that's okay. You can do that, but I would suggest that you also want to file with the U.S. Copyright Office because the WGA filing is not going to give you any court protection in the U.S. court, from my understanding. And a registration from the WGA is only valid for five years, and then you have to renew it. Now, granted, it's $20 uh, if you're a non-member as of right now, and it's $10 if you're a member. When I talk to writers, I suggest doing both because if they're a member of the WGA, they feel like culturally they have to uh, file it with the WGA. And that's fine. Spend the, spend the 10 bucks but make sure you also have a, a U.S. copyright registration. You just won't beat a U.S. copyright registration certificate because at the end of the day, it's a great investment in your now and, and in your future. And the other part of that is, is the length of time that the registration lasts. A copyright registration lasts for the life of the author plus an additional 70 years. And if it's an anonymous work or a work made for hire, the copyright lasts for 95 years from the year of the first publication or a term of 120 years from the year of its creation, whichever expires first. That's a lot longer than five years. And the other benefit is you don't need to renew a copyright. Uh, and if you do, it's not going to be so well after you're dead. Just recently, uh, this went in front of the Supreme Court, and that is that when is it registered? And the Supreme Court gave this the answer. And that's a cop when the Copyright Office issues you a registration number, that's when it's registered. Uh, yes, you own the copyright before then. Yes, you can file a claim. But until you actually get that number, uh, that registration number, and or in the, it'll be on a certificate, it'll show up on their website, it's not totally registered. It's not, well, it's not registered. Sorry, not totally registered. It's just not registered. Uh, so what's the difference? A case number, when you file, you get a case number that starts with like a one dash. A registration number starts with letters and then goes into numbers. So if it's a, a visual, if it's an image, you're talking about a VA. If it's a video, 
if it's a PA, if it's a literary work, it'll come out with a TX registration number. So we've talked about the purpose, the proof of ownership, the rights to enforce in a U.S. court, obviously statutory versus actual damages. Know that without statutory damages, most copyright infringement situations, lawsuits, uh, representations, they're a waste of resources because you can't sue in federal court unless you have a registered copyright. Uh, so even if you're suing past or you're filing past the uh, window to get statutory damages and you're, you're only entitled to actual damages, you still can't bring a case unless you've registered your copyright. So uh, the short version of that is since you're probably going to have to do it at some point, you might as well do it during the time when you can secure the largest benefit to your long-term success. How can that work in a real world of making a demand or a takedown when it's not registered? I had a situation come up recently where a friend contacted me and uh, somebody that they work with uh, received a letter demanding payment for an image they were using or had used. So I looked at the letter and uh, they're not using the image anymore. They'd used it for a brief period of time. It came off of their website. Uh, but this company appeared that, that first of all, they're a very large company. It wasn't Getty, but it was a very large uh, image licensing company. And they it was it was sent from an attorney. So the first thing I did was I looked up the, and there's, there's a, a website called Pacer. It's for federal filing. So I immediately looked up the attorney to see uh, if this attorney was in the habit of filing uh, federal copyright infringement suits and specifically in the area where the person who received the letter was. And so they, there was nothing really filed uh, and uh, I wasn't seeing anything. So that was my first kind of tell that uh, they didn't have a lot necessarily to worry about. It doesn't mean that something can't happen. The next thing was, is there was contact information on this letter. So I reached out and instead of writing what I would suggest they wanted to write, which is we only used it for a short period of time, blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to get into liability. I wanted to find out more about what I was dealing with before we made any representations, before I, I suggested that they make any representations whatsoever. So I spoke with their attorney and I said the same thing to their attorney. And the attorney said, you know what? That's, that's not a bad idea. So they said that the attorney said, listen, if you need us to do anything, we're here. Um, go for it. I did a reverse image lookup on the, I was trying to figure out my next steps. So I did a reverse image lookup on the image and I found out that the image was registered or the owner of the, the image or what it looked like the owner of the image was a photographer in Africa. So again, this person's in Africa. What are the chances that the person in Africa registered uh, with the U.S. Copyright Office or any copyright office uh, around the world in a timely fashion? So I reached out to them uh, and I said, who can I contact to ask more questions? And a, a person in their office reached back and said, uh, I'll be happy to discuss this case with you. I hit reply and I said, quick question. We're reviewing everything right now. Thank you for your time. Thank you for getting back to me. Is this image registered with the U.S. Copyright Office? And that person wrote back and said, no, it is not registered at this time. That told me everything I needed to know right there. Uh, they've made representations beforehand at best, they can get actual damages and they have to be able to prove the actual damages to them. And at this point, I'm still questioning whether or not they own the rights to this image. And this is, this is why I'm not saying who the company is, but uh, I will tell you that through some additional due diligence, we were able to, to find out that they didn't even own the rights to the image that they were claiming that they wanted money from. What? Yes, fraud, all of these things. 
But again, getting an agency to, to act on that is not what we do. Uh, and uh, our job in that case was to help a friend's friend out, to just basically make it go away. So my response to them was, uh, it's come to our, our attention that uh, representations have been made that uh, you do not own the image for which you are seeking damages. Uh, this, this image is not registered. And so you are only entitled to actual uh, damages, uh, which would probably cost you, you'd get less back than you would for the cost of actually writing and filing the suit. If you want to move ahead, move ahead. Otherwise, we're going to consider this case closed. And that was it. They sent back uh, uh, two other emails that said all of these things. And uh, my response to that was, please do and let me know by when. Again, by when? So that they could set a clock. And uh, that was well over a year ago. The image had been up previous to that. And as a result of that, the statute of limitations has now run out and they have uh, foregone their ability to bring any action. Uh, and hopefully they've cleaned up their act because I did write back to them afterwards and said, look, it's a very dangerous game you're playing to be representing that you own rights to uh, images that you don't own rights to. It's just fraud and that's a bad game to be playing. And uh, they didn't write back to that. So I'll leave you with this. Timing is absolutely everything. And don't let others tell you, don't worry about it. You can do it later. Your experience and time went into creating a work. So uh, if you respected your craft that much, then respect the, the product enough to just register it. You owe it to your empire. I hope this has been helpful. Jason Tucker is not an attorney. All of the information shared on this free podcast is his opinion and not legal advice. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. See you next time.